0: It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me.
1: Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you.
0: In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book character created by Michael Bond. Oh, I love those films so much. Hugh Grant is perfect.
1: For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate a cappella competitions.
0: It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college a cappella. Sing it, brother. I lived college a cappella. <laughs> it didn't
1: mean literally. <laughs>
0: You know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels, Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and the two Breaking Dawn parts.
1: Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it.
0: (laughs) That too.
1: Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first
0: film. We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels. Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings
1: trilogy, adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series
0: love these extended editions all the way maybe plus all the mission impossible films based on the 1960s tv series
1: and we've still got at least one more to go
0: members got to hear us chat about the hustler and the color of money adapted from walter tevis's books
1: get all of these books and more at our originals page thenextreelcom slash originals
0: start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals Your lips spoke softly You seem to like me I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Pitch Perfect 2 is over. You know, before this podcast, I had diarrhea for seven years. But yes, this is terrible.
1: Guys, there's going to be some haters out there. They're going to look at us, Team USA, and be like... Why well, is the most talented one Australian? Who run the world? Girls!
0: Who run this mother? Girls! Boy, the these girls have broken down every single barrier in their path. Girl. Who run the world? Girls! Who run the world? What an inspiration to girls all over the country who are too ugly to be cheerleaders. Who run the world? Girls! We run this mother. Girls! Girls! Andy, it's Pitch Perfect 2 time. Uh, uh, Pitch Perfect 2 time, this is the sequel to Guess What? Pitch Perfect uh, Now, for those of you who didn't tune in last week I uh, have uh, Irrational love Maybe irrational, uh, unironic love For Pitch Perfect uh, My love for Pitch Perfect 2 uh, Does not extend possibly quite so far But I said <laughs> a number of times I can't wait for you to watch it, Andy Because Andy, you know, has not seen Either 2 or 3 uh, At that point, and so today we get to find out how to hit with Andy. I don't know. Do you want to spill it now before we do the the rating and stuff, or do you want to hold, hold keep your powder dry, so to speak? Well, I'll just say this and then we'll we'll
1: kind of move into it. Uh it doesn't work as well as the previous film. Uh I, I mean I don't hold the first film in as high a regard as you do. I think it's fun and it was entertaining. Uh, this film was less so, and it felt a little
0: more <laughs> strained, like they were trying to to give us more. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, why we're doing this series? We're doing this series because we're doing big franchises. Franchises and series. And I think this one has some high points.
1: Well, I mean, this one does have high points. Obviously, there's um, it's a very popular series, so there's a lot of reason to talk about this franchise. There is uh you know i i like that elizabeth banks who i've always loved is really kind of the like her and um her producing uh who's the person she produces with max handelman yeah
0: it's her uh, partner uh,
1: and right and uh they um have this company brownstone productions and um you know put this film together and the the whole franchise like they've basically been shepherding this entire franchise and while Elizabeth isn't going to come back to direct the third film, uh, she is going to be, you know, intrinsically involved because of her uh, connection to this whole franchise and bringing in another uh, female director for it. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of strength of having Elizabeth Banks on board to kind of create this thing. And so as an actress who I've always enjoyed, I, um, you know, her her directing career has been has been thin, but I do enjoy knowing that she's also enjoys getting behind the camera and really doing some stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And she absolutely demonstrates the level of confidence and like butt confidence, real confidence.
1: Uh, you know what it is, Pete? It's Aka confidence. It's Aka confidence.
0: Oh, God. Here it goes. Here it comes! Oh, okay.
1: All right. Well, this movie was rated PG-13 when it was released uh, for innuendo and language. In other words, naughty talk. Sexy naughty talk. Yeah. And diarrhea. And di- also diarrhea. Matt lips <laughs> <laughs>
0: i can you right place right time yeah you magnetize my mind Okay Andy so uh, given all of that what do you think it does to step up the um the movie from m- number 1
1: Well okay so leveling up what are they doing with this one to amp things up you know what they largely do is repeat the entire previous film Yes they do <laughs> They repeat <laughs> the film. film. They pretty much, they 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 don't learn any lessons in the realm of doing a sequel, and they make a sequel that is essentially a repeat of the last film. Now, in context of things that are happening in there, they might be saying, hey, is there something here that we can do to kind of like kick this up a notch? Like at the beginning, we had the performance, the beginning of the first film, we had the performance and then the vomit, mm-hmm. intense vomit. In the beginning of the second film, we have the performance and then it's uh, it's a a stage gaff where clothing rips open and Fat Amy's genitalia is exposed, mm-hmm. and that's I guess the way that they're saying let's level it up by doing things like this, and um, and so I don't know I guess in the scope of what they're doing to really kind of amp the story up I don't feel there's anything in it that feels. Like they found strong ways to do something bigger or more surprising or newer. It just feels like essentially a rehash.
0: Andy, they were at regionals last time, and now they're at international. Now they've gone across the pond. That's a leveling up. That took an airplane.
1: A whole airplane. And we get a a brief shot of them walking through the streets of, of Copenhagen.
0: Yes, we do. Yes. It, but they're at a—they're essentially at, uh, like, Acapella Woodstock, <laughs> more like maybe Acapella Lilith Fair.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, well, that was a question I have for you as somebody from the world of Acapella. Is there an actual world finals of anything like this, or is this a fictionalized thing that they made up for the film? Because, like, the last one, the ICCAs, was a real thing. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if this is real or not, and I figured you would.
0: There is an Acapella World Championship, um and it's the the international championship of college acapella. It is uh it it is a um uh thing. Uh, I didn't get to go there, so sorry, me. <laughs> what was it around when you were there? Or <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, it... it's been okay, it, so it, it has been, been around. around. It has yeah, been it's a, a yeah, it's a it's a real thing. It's it's you know everything. Uh, it's, it's Worlds. I mean, it's, everybody talks about it, the big groups who go there, but because, you know, once you get cut, you're (laughs) less interested. I've never been to a Worlds competition, so. Okay, the World Finals here, though, it didn't feel collegiate to me. No.
1: Like, the sound machine, they don't look like college students. Yeah, no, that's true. And so that's why I was like, is the world finals, maybe it's just a broader thing, like where countries, like it felt almost like they were doing that because it's, it's not like, I don't know, it's not anything official sounding. It's just called the world finals. So it just felt very fake, faky,
0: faky movie. It felt like a riff on the Eurovision contest. Is what it totally I, did. My, yeah, it, you're right. Yeah. That's exactly right. the the one. The official one is the the international championship of collegiate acapella. Uh, and okay. so, I mean, that's the thing that exists in terms of worlds. That's part of a narrative, I think, that is used in the movie for um, like, let's let's just get because we have to get the girls out of collegiate competition because they've been banned because of the the genitalia because of genitalia. It's where we are, but there is there is some mix. There's probably somebody who's more acapella than me who's going to write us and tell us, "Oh, the world's is real too," and I'm maybe maybe it is. I've never seen that environment of acapella. The regionals, the nationals, absolutely could look like that. Um, so there you go. Well, the, the name was incredibly generic. They just call it the World
1: Finals, <laughs> so I that to me is like a clue that this is completely fictionalized for a movie. Yeah which was fine it was fine and as you said they needed to come up with something that got them out of collegiate competitions because they weren't allowed to do it because of this ban due to the genitalia which was a which was a complete accident it, you know that whole thing really started this film off on a bad foot for me cuz i'm like i don't buy into any of the logic here it clearly was um you know an, an accident where the clothing just happened to rip open and uh, I don't know. I, I found that very frustrating the way that the whole thing started and the, and like the such negativity toward the group and them getting banned and everything. It just, it seemed, it seemed so written.
0: Yeah. I, I struggle with that too. I think they're, uh, you know, I think the music performances, in, in an effort to, I'll, I'll again say, level up the music performances, there's something to this idea that they're taking the group. And they're using that sort of manufactured sort of unnatural chaos to somehow communicate how the group is kind of falling apart, how Becca is being distant from the group, how it's not as cohesive an experience. And I, that 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 part comes across through the narrative of the film, but largely not to, to me the, through the music itself. The music, whatever their intention was... It's just not as good. The performances are just not as good until I think the finale performance, which I quite like. Um, So they have the first one is just so over the top that it does it to your point. It feels absolutely written. It feels like they didn't effectively communicate where the Bellas would be after the last movie. I think opening with such chaos was a bridge too far for me. I, I didn't I didn't buy it. And. This gets to my central trouble with the film, which is use of Fat Amy in this film Rebel Wilson's part. What do you think of how they used Rebel Wilson in this movie?
1: through the film it uh, I mean through both films, really, there has been a a history. Uh, that they have latched onto of taking a an overweight actor, comedic actor, and using them to comedic effect because of their weight. Like we saw it with John Candy and Chris Farley. And mm-hmm. I mean it's definitely been a thing that has happened throughout, you know, film history. It's just like, hey, if they're overweight, what sort of jokes can we do to kind of build on that? I, I mean the 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 Farrelly brothers did that with um, you know, shallow howl. It's, it's you know, find ways to, uh, to make the fat person funny just because they're fat. Melissa McCarthy, there's another example. They definitely do that in the first film. It didn't feel as forced and it didn't feel as, uh, you know, as heavily overused. And it felt like when you have something like Bridesmaids where Melissa McCarthy delivers really... Uh, uh, an interesting performance not just because of her size but because there's just something different and weird about the character anyway you know it doesn't have to just be, re- be related to weight and then i think oftentimes comedic writers they latch onto it just because of the weight and with rebel wilson like i think what some of the stuff that i was enjoying so much in the last film were those those weird australia jokes about wrestling a dingo and, a, and an alligator and things like that like there were those moments that that made her character funny and in this film i felt like the bulk of it was just because of her weight and it just started feeling like it just—they're pushing it to a point where it's just like, come on, can you do something else with this character? And you know, she's she gets her love story here with Bumper, and so there's that whole thing. But even that feels like you know, let's figure out a way to put a romance in here for her too, because we—it's it, funny when we put the the overweight person in a in a in a crazy relationship like that. And so it just ended up feeling like. Every time she came on screen, it was like, what are we going to do with her this time to to be gross and, uh, you know, just use crass humor in a way that just, you know, makes people cringe.
0: Right. And and let me say, I'm all about crass humor. I think the, one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in movies was Jeff Daniels on the toilet in the ski house. I mean, it's incredible. I love I'm, I'm all about poop humor. It's fine. I feel like this was... <laughs> you open the show with diarrhea, after all. This is diarrhea, and here I am. Uh, but I think that this... this I really struggle with this one, in particular, because I, I don't care for making f- that character, Fat Amy, Rebel Wilson's character, more of a, of a star of this movie than I think the story deserves her to be. She's a great secondary character, right? She's a great friend of the character, and I think this movie, and I'm going to spoil it for you, leading into Pitch Perfect three, they're working to make this more and more of a buddy comedy, right? With with uh, Fat Amy and Becca, and. Uh, it doesn 't play for me the the story itself becomes weaker and weaker and weaker as we go through the trilogies uh, through the trilogy and i don 't i don 't care for it i don 't think it 's as funny I think it 's so over the top and so forced the the humor the writing becomes so forced that um it it 's less interesting in context of that I do think. That is a
1: struggle with the script as a whole, where every character who is given some sense of a a, kind of a a, archetype or a caricature of who that particular character is, it's amped up here. So it's not just Fat Amy, but certainly Fat Amy gets a lot of it. But we see that with... Uh, with Chloe as well, with suddenly, it's like this like this whole thing is getting pushed more and more with the possibility of like there's this you know bisexual tendencies with her, but it's like it feels like they're amping that up. It feels like when you're looking at um lily like her stuff gets a little kookier and weirder
0: kookier and weirder but it seems like she her whole role was sort of um uh, bifurcated with this uh with the new character from guatemala whose name i uh have uh, flow yeah and she's uh, who has some very very funny lines like i think very uh, very funny lines. i
1: don't think uh i i i think that it's painful everything that they did with her <laughs> <laughs> um, but but same thing like with Cynthia like oh yeah. hey we have this lesbian character let's make all of the stuff like just over the top and I feel like what they did with the characters here and this is a struggle I think oftentimes with comedy sequels is they say hey people love these crazy characters let's use them again but they're all going to be just a little bit crazier and everyone take the direction we went with them and and turn it up to eleven and give us even more and that's kind of yeah. where we end up. So it's not just Fat Amy, but it's all of the characters. They they push them to a place where like all of them I struggle with even more. Even even people like Benji, like there're things with him I'm just like Ugh. is anybody that inept at having like uh, having words come out of their mouth? Like
0: there are things that just kind of keep happening uh that uh, I found very frustrating. And they took Uh, bumper, and I don't know why they brought him back. I know they manufactured this relationship with Fat Amy, and they thought it would be funny to show the rise in the first movie and the fall in this movie, I guess, by making him campus security and wanting to still be popular, but it didn't play for me. The whole relationship didn't play. Maybe it would have been funny had he not left the movie in Pitch Perfect, the first one, uh, to go do his thing. Like That was a fine exit for that character, and they needed to find something new to do It didn't work for me.
1: I will say the one thing that really worked for me with Bumper (laughs) in this film was when he shows up in the old group, the group of the old uh, uh, singers. That might have been funny. Like Like, that might have been funny alone. Well, it was funny anyway, like the tone, the tone hangers, like that was the funniest thing to see that, oh, he's actually part of this group of, of these older people who just oh. can't let go. And he was I so, thought that was hilarious.
0: So sure that John Mayer had had an affair with Tina Turner. <laughs> <sighs> And like <laughs> that everything was, that about good, yes. him
1: with the tone ha- tone hangers was perfect. If that was all yes. that we had of Bumper, that would have been perfect. Like that would have been a great way to bring him back in a way where it's just like, yes, we want him to be just in this group of these old people. I think you just you the, said you know. it just
0: right. Like they sucked the 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 joy out of what we could have gotten with that character by making it too much more. Too much more of, of him. That was too much. And I think not having... I didn't need any of that storyline of of Fat Amy and Bumper together. I didn't need any of it. I didn't need any of it. I didn't need the... With a boat scene, I didn't need any of it.
1: That, again, speaks to this whole turning it up to 11. What was funny in the first film? What can we amp up? That conversation between Bumper and Fat Amy in the first film when he says, oh, should we just have sex now or whatever? And she's just like... You know, sometimes I think it would be fun to take math yeah. and crystal math, but then I think, then I think maybe not. not. Yeah. That was really funny in the first film. And it felt like, okay, that there's a thing there. Let's amp it up to 11 for the next one. And just like every, t- every single thing from the first film, they do that with. And it just ends up all feeling so forced and written. And I don't know. It, it, I was honestly surprised to remember that that Kay Cannon also wrote this script um, solo because so much of it felt like they brought somebody else on to to amp it
0: up. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. It feels like this was this was not this was not of the same pen. This movie, it was it was just chaos and just push. Now, I I have to say the things i love about the movie and i genuinely love them it's the music right i love the bands i love uh the sound machine i think they're great the tone hangers you already said the bellas uh the troublemakers i think are good though i think they're underused in this movie maybe they thought oh we already had too much troublemaker in the f- in the first movie so let's go ahead and and dial that down i think that was a mistake um and the Green Bay Packers is a great, great addition to the riff off. I think it's very, very funny.
1: Was there a thing there? Like, I, I wasn't sure, like, in the world of acapella. I'm like, is this a thing? Because it just feels like they just said, wouldn't it be funny if we put some football players in here that also happened to be doing acapella?
0: No, I think one of them actually wrote Elizabeth Banks about how much they loved the movie on Twitter. And and she wrote back and said, let's figure out something to do. And they put him in. And I think it was really funny. Uh I I think the guys were I think their guys were great. It was a nice little sort of cameo. And they they did the work like they showed up and they they sang it. And it was great. The other the non sort of acapella piece that i also loved was keegan michael key i thought everything in that studio was funny everything in that production studio that he did with dax and i'm wearing my skinny jeans take a lap anyway like all of that was awesome for me that was a real high point in the movie tell me you agree please i i liked all of that stuff
1: in the studio like uh, that journey for her my challenge with it is that it felt I I could see exactly what was happening with it. You know, it, it felt so telegraphed like we're going to put this here because this is part of the journey And and we're gonna spell it out so clearly right here in this pitch where he's saying, Who's got something for me? Who's got something for me? Give me this, I need something new, I need something new. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, this is where the story's gonna end.
0: And they end up making a rather anodyne, even after Anna Kendrick gets her gets her mitts on it, a rather anodyne Snoop Dogg Christmas song. It was it wasn't the it it was fine. Um, but I, I think the problem that I have with it, with the studio stuff, as much as I love the elements goes back to, I think, their choices with Anna Kendrick and what they're doing with Becca in this movie. I think at some some level, they decided, you know what, we need to separate, we need to start that that the mission of separating the identity of Becca from the Bellas, and we're going to do that by getting her a job, this internship that she's always wanted, and I think that is a central decision that causes the story to suffer, because as soon as we take her and put her in that studio with Keegan-Michael Key, and the fact that Keegan-Michael Key is such such a great and and sort of show-stopping comedian in this character i think I start seeing two movies in here. Like there is a movie where Anna Kendrick is an up and coming producer and we get a kind of Devil Wears Prada of her in studio with the studio head. And it could be an interesting movie all on its own. And it feels like it's such a different thing than Pitch Perfect. And I think I struggle with it. I think it was a mistake to, to move her in that direction in this movie. I think if they're going to do something like that, it should happen in Pitch Perfect three at the end of our sort of spiritual journey of Anna Kendrick and to do it here actually damages not only this movie, but the third movie, too. And you're going to see it. That's an interesting point. And I guess I I
1: guess that makes sense to me. I did think about it as I was watching this, that they chose to put set it three years after the last film, like they went from her freshman year to her senior year. And, I mean, and I guess to a certain extent, it makes sense in context of time, like, from 2012 to 2015. Okay. You know, they're jumping across kind of the, the time she would be in college. Now the challenge uh, with that is trying. Yeah. I mean, they, they are shoehorning a lot more into it. And I guess, you know, in context of our earlier conversation, they're leveling it up a little bit. You know, there's something that they're trying to do more by giving her that other aspect to her, to her explorations here. And, I suppose in the scope of what she's wanting to do. And as a comparison, what Chloe is not doing, um, we're getting a sense of these characters and the relationship with a a group like this. I mean, this is a college group. They are in this while they're in college and they may stay in touch as a legacy later in their life. um, But, but largely it's something that they do while they're here in college and, and Becca I feel like she does recognize that weirdly no one else does. And that's, I think my issue, part of my big issue with it is, it's just like, clearly they all are here for college and they're all getting degrees and going to go do something. But no one cares about that at all, except for Bella or for Becca, who does see, I need to do something else and I'm going to get this internship and Chloe, uh, on the flip side, is this person who's just like, I keep failing classes intentionally because I want to stay here so that I can, can kind of continue this because this is all I have. right? And, uh, you know, I, I think there's an interesting dynamic there with that person who just can't leave college. I do think that there is that sort of person. But also, um, I you know, I, I think there's a, a struggle with creating such a strong bifurcation there in characters because it like i i don't get a sense that all of the rest of the the bellas are all on chloe's side like that i i just can't buy into that like i i don't think having an internship intrinsically turns into oh my god the story has major conflict now and like that and i think that's my struggle is i don't see like how is that something that completely
0: eliminates anything the bellas can do It doesn't. It's it's the black and white, the need for that sort of black and white thinking in the movie. Like they have to they and that's what makes it feel so manufactured is that this conflict is not a human level conflict. It doesn't show any of the nuance that these individual characters would have because it treats the Bellas. The rest of the Bellas as one entity, one single minded entity, uh, uh, apart from goofy, goofy characters, Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's a I, I think that's a that's my problem with it overall. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, I, speaking of characters and how they are used from the first movie, can you give me your thoughts on Aubrey? Now, Aubrey is uh, leading a, uh, a camp uh, for corporate training, <laughs> like a ropes and outdoor <laughs> adventure camp for corporate training. Uh, and we get a sequence with her when the Bellas go for their, their experience with her as their leader. What do you think?
1: Well, you had told me last week that there would be more Aubrey, and I, I was like, well, I haven't seen her singing. I'm like, I wonder how they're going to use her. I wasn't really sure on how that was going to play. My first thoughts were, I want to go to her camp, because all of like the water slides and everything looked ridiculously <laughs> fun. The, it's just like, I just want to yeah, go. Yeah, I want to go
0: play with her camp. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there's really much need to have included her again. Uh, I mean, it it makes sense. Like, if you're going to do something like this, if you need to have some way to do bonding, sure. Okay. So a former graduate, one of these legacy people is now running this camp. Okay, I buy it. Um, I just don't know how much it really gave to me. Like, I would have been fine uh to not have her. Like honestly, I she should have also been at the end. Like, was she one of the legacy people yeah, she was singing at the end? Yeah. She was there at the mm-hmm. end. Okay, for some reason I didn't remember her. I, I kept seeing some of these other people, but um so anyway, I don't know. I she wasn't really necessary. It didn't bug me, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, eh, you know, I I, I don't know. It wasn't I wasn't feeling that excited one way or the other about her. But did you like her?
0: No. No, I, I think it was poorly used. I think it was poorly used uh, of uh, in a camp. I think it was uh, unfortunate. I didn't understand why she was the person to be there when the opportunity to have another eccentric new introduction of a new character would have been fun, a new isolated character, a new sort of Keegan-Michael Key sort of a, a character. Here's the camp leader and we have someone that you might not expect, someone who doesn't connect necessarily very well at the beginning with the, with the rest of the group. Like, I think we could have had another fun comedy performance in this section of the film. And we don't get that because because like it just didn't feel like she was I would ever believe that she would go from where she was to this character. I just didn't I didn't believe it. Some of that is because her dad with all the military stuff that they gave us in the beginning that she was this sort of archetype authoritarian kind of uh, leader of the group. But then she already made the turn at the end. Like, she released her control and her power, and I felt like that might have been enough. Like, I I, I feel like they actually took her back a few steps by putting her in this, this role. Well, the one thing
1: that they do, and the one way I could say there is some logic to it, is she is, in a way, reflecting the afterlife of college Bellas. And to that end, she is essentially an example of... Um, of Becca and, you know, the person who is doing something other than clinging like the tone hangers to acapella as her life and said, I'm moving on, I'm going to start a new career. And hey, I didn't think I was going to be a camp running a, a camp, but here I am and I'm loving it. Like to that end, I can say, you know what, at least there is that sense of it.
0: Uh, yeah. I, and I think they, they try to do that and continue to try to do that in the subsequent film. And I, I you know, I'm I'm really interested in um i i am interested in that part but i don't know if i'm interested in that part of post bella at the expense of the now bellas in the movie that i'm seeing right and and i think that that sort of works for the, that that same kind of complaint works for me a little bit writ large with the movie that that they're trying to to bring in so much outside the bella experience at the expense of what we actually are here to see yeah what do you think about Haley Seinfeld? I like Haley
1: Steinfeld. She's a a fun actress. Always like I just I find her screen presence always is kind of a joy. She just brings a positive energy. She clearly knows how to sing. Oh, she's like great. she's got great pipes. And I I think that it was fun to kind, not just her, but really just kind of like she is our introduction to this world of legacies. And I thought that was kind of fun seeing uh, Katie Seagal. As her mom, who I just I always enjoy seeing her pop up in things, uh, and just and we'll will you know have some other interesting legacy cameos at the end. So it was it was kind of fun to kind of have that world open up for us. And I you know in the scope of a story needing to bring a new voice in, you know I suppose it works. Especially since they needed some way to do it, since they couldn't have auditions through this whole nonsense at the beginning of the
0: film. Yeah, it was a nice loophole. Nice loophole that worked for me. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the the loophole works. They get her in there, and uh, she is the one new voice. And to that end, yeah, I think that I think that it plays fine. I I didn't have issues with it. I do have a question for you though, as it relates to the world of acapella sure. and the use of original material, because I I'm not exactly sure how how that plays in the world of acapella. I mean, and honestly, as I was thinking about it with this film, I'm like, I guess I've never really heard an acapella group sing original songs. Well, uh, until you get to somebody like Pentatonix, who is, you know, they're doing a, a lot of their own original material and covers. But like before that, every acapella group I ever heard was always singing covers in some capacity. And, and even when David Cross's character comes on for his crazy, weird little uh, thing, Like, it is this whole, like, oh, you cannot sing. You are eliminated. You sung original material. How dare you? And, I mean, I know as part of the thing they were doing jams or whatever. But still, I wasn't really sure uh, what to make of that because then at the end when they They sing their original material at the very end. Everyone's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Original material. This, they're really amping it up a lot. This, they're pushing it into the next level. And I was like, okay, I I guess I just don't understand all of this and why it's so impressive. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and that was something I, again, I, I brought all this up because it was part of Haley Steinfeld's character. She's the one who writes this original song. So anyway. Question in relation to her
0: career. Well, the culture, the culture of acapella is all about covers, and part of that is because I think as as young people. In collegiate acapella, in particular, right? Collegiate acapella, it it all centers around like how much fun it is to try t- to duplicate as much as you can the sounds that you get on the music that you love, and that becomes the game. It's like the the unspoken game of acapella. You go to other groups, you see other concerts, you do a bunch of shared concerts, and you're you're kind of spreading the the tools, like the vocal tools that you have at your disposal, to uh, actually recreate stuff that you've that you've already done, and also songwriting is wicked hard and it is a very rare skill to find somebody who is a great songwriter who can write a great song and also translate it to acapella so I, I think those are the the two competing things if you take out the fact that most acapella groups don't have young fantastic songwriters what you have is covers and great 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 covers so i think You know, you get into modern a cappella vocal bands, um, you know, that's I don't need both of those things. Right. Uh, (laughs) Modern vocal bands. You have people who graduated out of college a cappella, became good songwriters and now write original music. And I think Pentatonix is a great example of that. You'll note they still do covers because that's so much of of their stock and trade. But they do also a lot of original music. Spiral Mouth was one of my very favorite vocal bands in the late 90s and released an incredible album, um, the uh, eponymous album that has a mix of like Nine Inch Nails covers and originals and it's extraordinary. But I think because of that culture, you're always going to have a mix of what can I reproduce this impossible thing with my mouth and make it sound legitimate? Mm. What do you think? Is that a fair answer? Does that well? So at
1: the end, does it seem like for a competition to suddenly go, holy cow! They're doing something original. Is that enough for all the judges to go? Oh, well, I might just give them a few extra points because of that.
0: Well, like, I, yeah, uh, I
1: don't, <laughs> like, I don't think I, it, like that. Just, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was something that was that exciting or new.
0: No, I and and I don't know. I I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Did you did you believe it? Like, ultimately, when you watched it, did you believe it? Well
1: once we get to that you have to get into the question of like how much did you like the actual song yeah and this is the song fine. flashlight by uh, jesse J. Yeah. I think wrote it
0: and i think sia was involved oh maybe in some sia case. wrote it jesse j performed it that might have been it
1: when i was looking at the list uh, for awards uh for later in the show i saw sia as one of the people who had been
0: that's right attached sia to furler the christian Guz- so. christian guzman jason moore and sam smith Uh, Wrote the song, co-wrote the song, and it was performed by Jesse J in the original single, and by the Bellas. Right, yeah, right. It's fine. Like it didn't completely
1: wow me, and uh, so to that end, I, I don't know. I guess if I were a judge, I guess I wouldn't care if it was original or or not, as long as it was a performance that wowed me. I mean, that really is what it boils down to. And I guess in that sense. Um, you know, I, I, it, did,
0: it didn't kind of knock my socks off. Well, the, I think there's a bigger problem with that whole sequence. And the bigger problem is that they, I think they would have largely been disqualified as soon as the curtains parted and like 50 other people were on stage, right? I think it's a bridge too far to say that the Bellas includes all generations of past Bellas. Um, so that's the part, like it makes, I think it makes for a great finale, and it's a failed finale be- that we don't get to see the Barden the Bellas get completely disqualified, but it makes for a great sort of cinematic event, and I think it's it's fun. It's the mother daughter thing. We get all of these emotional uh, sort of threads uh, detangled and tied up, and and that. That part works for me. I like the sisterhood thing. I like watching how they all come together. And I like the lights. I'm a sucker for lights in the dark stadium with the flashlights. Like, I, I'm really a sucker for all of that stuff. So, And, and you get Robin Roberts. Suddenly I, know.
1: <laughs> as, I know. as a former Bella. so great. And C.J. Perry. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, that was odd to see them. Yeah. So, it's and, a, and what's her name from the first movie also is there?
0: Cameo so, I mean, they, they, Palooza, right? Like, it, it really yeah. is significant. It was fun. So, uh, yeah. all of that. I think worked for me.
1: It works in the scope of what they're trying to do for the story. Like let's let's, you know, bring all the legacy and in the scope of like what I was saying about that introduction of legacy and having Katie Seagal um as the mom, then to have that kind of connect to the end, like that is a, a point that that did work. But yeah, I I think there's a lot of logistics and and realities that, you know, it's a comedy film. They're going to ignore a lot of that stuff for the comedy and for the emotion. And in a film where there aren't as many issues as this film has, those are easy things to look over and still say this is a great film. In a film that already is having all these other issues with all these things... As these things start happening, it really kind of creates this snowball effect where you're just like, "Oh, there's another thing. There's another thing," and it does kind of, you know, bring it down. Yeah, a
0: bit. yeah, I think so too. So, uh, okay, so can we talk then? So anyway, yeah, you want to talk? That was all Haley's time. That was all <laughs> Haley's time. Uh What did you think of the of the actual music and the the bands that that get highlighted? I like it. I feel
1: like it didn't uh, click quite as well as the first film. Um, you know, I I don't think. Like, I'm trying to think if there was something... um, I kind of actually like their first performance, uh, if there's something... The one that um, goes
0: crazy with the 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 pants?
1: They (laughs) all go crazy. Like, that was something that I was struggling with. Like, like when they're singing for the, I don't know, the old folks home or whatever, that one also goes crazy. It does. It goes crazy. uh, Cynthia sets herself on fire. It's like, you know, I don't know. A lot of these things felt like they were just... They became incompetent this time. And so... I don't think there was really anything that stood out for me that was incredibly exciting or uh, did felt new and fresh like the first film. Did.
0: There is a little bit of traditionalist acapella in the when they go to the camp and they go back to basics. There's a medley of uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, You Can't Hurry Love, Lady Marmalade, uh Bop, and My Lovin' You're Never Gonna Get It. And it sort of takes us through time, uh, as the, the musical montage kind of goes through and they start playing all their water games. Uh, I really enjoy that. I enjoy that a lot because I think Boogie Woogie Bo- Bugle Boy is about as classic as you can get in terms of women's, sure. you know, vocal performance. Uh, you can't really love, uh, I like that because I sang it when I was, uh, in <laughs> acapella. Um, Lady Marmalade, another classic, and I think they do it well. Uh, and so I, like, they're, it's, it's a nice choice. We also get a lovely campfire rendition of When I'm Gone, which I, yeah, I think is was a nice. really nice homage to, to the last movie. So, um, th- there are some things I think that, that really work. And, if, and the, the finale, I think, mashup again, the, the run the world girls, the, the clapping silhouette thing, you know, that they do at the beginning and snapping and, Snap and clap, yeah, yeah. yeah. Snap and clap, yeah. ring and spring, Andy. Um, I think it's, uh, I think that really, that functionally, that that works well for the performance.
1: Which is, I mean, it ends up also kind of being a blend of a lot of things we've heard from them over the course of the film. Yeah, like we'd already heard them do Lady Marmalade, We Belong, We Belong, sure, and and, and so they were pulling obviously. Uh, flashlight, obviously, yeah, and so they were pulling a lot of things that they had um, kind of already touched on, and you know, it was fine. Uh, it it is funny though that like. Of things that do stand out, like cups, is one of them because it's like that was the standout from the last film, and you didn't really top it. Yeah, (laughs) this film. Yeah, and so yeah, it's kind of frustrating. I do have a little trivia note for you that I thought was kind of fun. Oh, good. As I was watching the credits, the list of songs just kind of kept going on and on and on. So I so I went back and I watched it again and I counted. Any sense from you? How many songs they? Ha- I, I I will say how many songs that they licensed and and credited in the film. But any guess from you? <laughs> this is hard because it's it's an a cappella movie. It's a movie about singing. It's gonna be you know a higher number than normal.
0: Um, forty higher, really? Uh, like 60? sixty? Sixty? Oh, was I right? Oh, outstanding! Sixty songs. I wouldn't. they. Uh, yeah. they that was me trying to swing songs.
1: out of the park. Yeah, I no, no that's yeah, crazy. There were sixty songs that they actually paid for and licensed and credited, listed in the credits at the God, end. Of this that's film. A so lot. I didn't go back songs. and check the first film, um, but I imagine it was more because it, this is the sequel. They had more money, all that stuff. Wow. So I'll, I'll have to check that again on the third one and see uh, where we stand. Um, but I mean, you know, you know, going back to last season when we talked about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Which had I think twenty four songs when we were talking about that film, you know, and then to go, Wow, this one has sixty. now I know that's the mashup nature. you're blending like you know five or six songs into one into the length of one song, but still it's like, yeah, it's like a that lot of music. riff off that's a lot of songs I
0: mean that that riff this riff off, I think has more music in it, um than the first one, the riff off in the basement.
1: Um probably because of the way that it's specifically yeah. designed with this kind of crazy competition that David Cross puts together <laughs> where yeah. yeah,
0: it's was he was he a fun addition to this the underground acapella that he runs
1: i it was weird. It, it David Cross has become this person when he shows up. i I always immediately go to Tobias Funke and I wonder if everybody else does too. And they say, let's just figure out how we can kind of create the next Tobias Funke with this character. Cause here he was playing, I have to read his name because it was so crazy. Yes. Sir Willops, Brightly's more, yes. Brightly's more, Sir Willops, Brightly's more, who was a former, uh, he's just a fan of acapella. And so he's created this underground lair in his mansion where he has this competition. And I mean, it was, it was, you know, again, in the the realm of the leveling up, we're going to do a riff off, but now it's going to be in a creepy basement. Yeah. Uh, OK, so that was that was what they came up with for it. It's fun. It was fine. It
0: uh, it's interesting. What was his name in the first movie? Like this is this is the leveling up of the fan who's still a part of the acapella community. And now it's an adult. Yeah, like like what's his like name? McLevin. The... Like Yeah, this like McLovin. McLevin this, this is what mclevin grows up to be. Sir Willop's Brightley's more. <laughs> it's not unfunny like it's not unfunny and the music again was good but so much of that is down to uh i think Das sound machine which who is great so great and the um you know the the real star we've got you know flula borg and and um i can't think of her name Hurt yeah but the the real star is is 80 fits uh who is un unreal beatboxer that they they put in this band he's the he's just crazy and if you want to see some incredible incredible stuff uh you know search youtube for 80 Fitz f-i-t-z or andrew fitzpatrick um he is just just great and he's the one who at the end or at the riff off steps up and or the where they do the the beat off with the guy from the tone hangers uh whose name also escapes me all of a sudden but he was great i had no idea who that was but
1: um yeah he was pretty great yeah he's kind
0: of a legend um
1: was that was that reggie watts
0: from the reggie tone hangers yep. Who yep. comes yep yep yeah. yep that's yep. it yeah from i noticed from, uh, well, the daily show he, that's how i well found him.
1: i was like oh they replaced donald Faison <laughs> in the tone hangers and <laughs> as soon as reggie watts stepped out i was like oh this is why this is why. i doubt he could have yeah. i doubt he could have done that right <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, that was funny. Uh so I I really enjoy the uh the music from Da Sound Machine. I think it's just it's been mixed incredibly dynamically. It's huge, right? Everything is just big and there's like 60 people in the in the band. Like when they come out at the car show, it's unreal like how many like how big they are. But
1: uh I, I love it. And to that sense, you know, I have a hard time arguing that the
0: Bellas can't have their legacy performers come back. Well, but that's not the that's not the problem. The problem is doing it as a surprise. You if you register your band as that big, then that's fine.
1: But maybe they did. OK, so here's so no prize. They registered it that that way. It was just a surprise for the audience and for us, the audience.
0: I don't I refuse to believe that secret wouldn't have gotten out. <laughs> this maybe is the hill on which I will die. That's <laughs> yes, right. You you go right
1: ahead. You go right ahead. Can we also talk about John and Gale? Yeah.
0: Sure. <laughs> I want to talk
1: about them and then I want to use this as a conversation to talk about uh some inappropriate uh you know racial comedy and and just some comedy that comes up in to the the realm of the story and how necessary it is. Because John and Gale they're definitely amping up kind of the level of comedy the back, the back and forth that we had from the last film between the two. But there's also a lot more stuff that they're saying that just feels off color in a way where I'm like, gosh, I, I feel like they're
0: going too far with some of the stuff they're saying. Are you talking about the the Thai lady boys? Is that the comment that you're specifically thinking about? No, no, no. I, I,
1: all of it. I, there's nothing specific. It's like pretty much anything out of mostly John's mouth ends up being so crass and so wrong. And Gail has her reactions to it. Like when he's talking about like the women and the right to vote, she's like, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, she has her comebacks and stuff, but largely, like, they're putting this stuff out there to be funny. It's not, and it ends up being frustrating. And that is also, speaking of of things that are off-color and in ways where it just feels inappropriate, like the stuff that they have with Flo, which I know you kind of talked about you enjoyed, like, that stuff feels... Um, like weirdly racially motivated to talk about so like everything that comes out of her mouth is all about uh, surviving as an illegal
0: immigrant or something, and it just I don't like, I let me just say clearly, Andy, I don't feel good about it. I've, <laughs> I, I felt love it. I felt guilty every time I laughed. <laughs> every time I laughed really <laughs> loud. <Yeah. laughs> well, and I wonder if in uh, the, in specifically the Elizabeth Banks bit, like. Does it feel like she is somehow making it OK to have to put these words in John's mouth because every time he says something, she has a twist kind of. A, is it John? Is that OK, John? No, it's not John. Like she has that under her breath kind of side side of her cheek comment that feels like it's intended to uh, like undercut John's perspective on the world. And on women and on race does it it doesn 't make it okay for you? Does it feel like that could be no. part of her mis- her character 's mission in this film
1: let 's just say in the world of comedy, I know there has been a lot of back and forth about you know we can 't you know we can 't say stuff um, you know people are are policing the ways that we can you know, say things and describe things and it's it's it 's no fun doing comedy anymore because Uh, Because of all the the people who are are keeping it from being, uh, from allowing us to really do something that's edgy. And I get that there is a sense of edge when you try to say things that are, you know, politically, uh, you know, uh, incorrect and and kind of just, you know, things that are um, looking down on people in some ways. Like there's a whole world of comedy that kind of sprang from that. Right and i and i understand for from the world of comedians who who want to use that sort of stuff like i get the frustration but also i feel like there are smarter ways that you can go about with comedy and i feel like this sort of comedy ends up feeling so like such an easy way to try to get a laugh because there are going to be people who are going to really find this stuff funny and and so yeah you're getting those people to laugh but you know at what cost because i feel like it ends up, I don't know, I just feel like it ends up feeling like it, uh, you know, yes, she is negating what he has just said, but he has still said it. It's still put into the film, and it ends up feeling like it's not really ever dealt with. And and so, I don't know, I just, I end up having a harder time with it. And especially because we have so much of that coming from flow, and nobody ever does anything with that, you know, it just, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
0: nobody I, ever does anything with that, right, right.
1: Uh, I don't find that it works, and I find it harder to... Uh, to really deal with
0: yeah i don't know i for me i i find i still find it funny i don't find it like that over uh, i I don't i I guess i don't find it as over the top as maybe maybe i should i don't know i i the problem is i keep laughing at it i laughed at it when it was um you know oh yeah yeah. i
1: I mean i i I still it's still like it's funny but it's it's that funny that comes across and you know when you have people like um uh, gosh, I'm forgetting who plays John. Um, it's uh, John. Well, John, John Michael Higgins yeah. and Elizabeth Banks. Um, when you have them saying this stuff, like it, it comes across funny. Um, and, and I guess that's the line is, is like, is it funny just because I enjoy them kind of throwing these, these things out and the way they throw them out, like the way right. it's so casually kind of like handled in this conversation where it's almost like they're not tuned into anything. Like, it's almost like he never hears anything. She says like, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of the laughs come from just the way that it ends up getting delivered, not even what they're saying, you know? And so I, I you know, but once you think about what they're saying, that's when it becomes a little more problematic. Well, and, this, and then yeah. again, the bigger issue is the stuff with flow because she's saying these things, and I
0: don't know. It just it ends up coming across in a way where it just seems a little more malicious. The the problem that I have with it, I think you're describing you described earlier for me is that everything about this performance of them is the same stuff we get with the performances for Rebel Wilson and for um, all of the the over the top stuff. Is this time John and Gail feel written to me they feel like we had this thing that was kind of magical between the two these two performers elizabeth banks and john michael higgins and now we don't now we've it's totally scripted and we intend the the sideline you know racial comments that we that at last time felt performed better they felt performed more accidentally this feels like a script and it it, it just doesn't it it lands like that to me it's not it's just not as pleasant very much so very yeah. much so um we do have uh our my 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 buddy deke Sharon, is back he's a he has a guest he also did all the the music um uh he's the music uh what's the word director for this thing um, yeah oh, okay. producer uh, yeah for all and I saw music. him on the
1: there's a there's a bonus uh, Troublemaker's performance mm-hmm. um of them performing uh locked out of heaven. And he introduced it. I was like, "Oh, that's the guy that yeah. Pete was talking about, so that's, that's Deke.
0: What do you think of the choice because they they recorded two things for the for the trebles in the beginning for their um for their welcome back to the new year uh, performance. One was lollipop, one was locked out of heaven. What do you think of of uh, the one they chose? You think there should have been more, and do you like it better
1: I, I It felt like a more fun song to to perform at a uh, freshman welcome." You know i I thought lollipop fit it was just kind of it has more of kind of that fun college sort of vibe locked out of heaven is a is a fine song. it just it didn't um like it felt like it w- it felt like it would have been a second song you know it didn't feel like we needed to have have it after lollipop
0: and we should say, I wish we'd had more songs from the trebles,
1: yeah, I mean they're fun to watch um the The challenge is. We've got to introduce the new antagonist. Well, they're yeah, they're not a part of the story anymore. Like, other than the fact that Jesse is uh, still together with Becca and the fact that Benji is drawn to Emily, uh, there's really no need to have them in here. And so to that end, they just they do feel they're like unnecessary so
0: i i struggled with uh with that again unnecessary and i think too i I think it works against the film not giving jesse something else to do uh making him sidelining him as still the couple uh with becca and making him stand outside the car and yell funny things is underplaying what he was capable of and i really miss that i think that could have been handled much better
1: not a lot there he felt like the the uh, wife character in in so many action movies and to that end you know what maybe we need more like him (laughs) yeah to to flip the scales a little bit yeah i guess that's true yeah so i guess is there any other big things that you want to talk about or any other specifics i'm trying to think if there's any other uh, points that we wanted to talk about
0: well, you you wanted to make a note of some other Elizabeth Banks uh work, specifically a real high point in her career, and that was
1: <laughs> Oh, you, you know, I um yeah, she hasn't directed much. Uh I think after this she's only directed uh the Charlie's
0: Angels reboot. Mm-hmm. Re re-reboot?
1: Is it a re It was, I guess it's a re-reboot, right?
0: I don't even know how to I don't know how to talk about that. <laughs>
1: There aren't, there aren't proper words to, to talk about that, the, well, multi-universal. It, but it's the newest one. Yeah. Yeah, because there was the Charlie's Angels TV show. Then there were the two films that Drew yeah, Barrymore, like the Drew Barrymore uh, mirror, yeah. was behind. And now this is the one that she directed that had uh, Kristen Stewart in it. And so uh, that was her version. That was what she, that her directorial follow-up to this. Um, and now I guess she's doing Cocaine Bear, which is her newest film. But before this, other than her short film she did in 2011, there was a little uh, a little project that she was involved in uh, that I did see theatrically. <laughs> I don't know if you did. But yes, Movie 43, she did direct one of the segments of that notorious film. Wow. And, you know, I don't think it was as bad as some of the critics said i mean yes it's terrible but it's kind of designed to be terrible it was it was a pretty raunchy uh you know uh raunchy comedy of um uh short uh, little short bits and hers was a uh, called middle school date and I don't really remember it. Um, The description, Nathan and Amanda are watching television after school at his house as their first middle school date. When they begin to kiss, his older brother Mikey enters the living room and makes fun of them. Amanda then discovers she is menstruating and tries to hide it. When Nathan sees blood on her pants, he panics and believes her to be bleeding to death. He causes a debacle, later including Nathan and Mikey's father, Stephen and Amanda's father. Amanda calls them out on their stupidity, embarrassed to know that she's getting her first period in front of them and they don't know what to do about it. When she leaves with her father nathan yells that the process of keeping the lining of her turtle organs intact by inserting his erect phallus into her vagina is much too complicated and mikey <laughs> agrees steve cheers them up by farting in front of them as mikey goes to the bathroom nathan and steve watch a game on television which has a very graphic tampax commercial in which a girl gets eaten by a shark due to her menstruating oh my god i don't remember it you know, <laughs> maybe that says everything I <laughs> I sharks, need about that. Like it's
0: everything else. I, I okay, it's fine, it, but the shark bit really <laughs>
1: the shark. <laughs> her segment had Christopher mintz Plas. So there's her yep. connection to yep. McLovin. Chloe, Gla- Ch- Chloe Grace Moretz, oh, Jimmy yeah. Bennett, Patrick Patrick Warburton, and Matt Walsh. That's the cast. Matt
0: Walsh. Of her oh, bit. Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is in so. uh, Jess Plus None. Our uh, network family uh, Mandy Fabian's new film oh yeah
1: very cool. isn't that fun well. so anyway Elizabeth Banks uh, and I believe she's in one of them too uh, mm-hmm. if I recall she is in Bezel James Gunn's
0: short okay I, can I change gears briefly? Uh, I would like to play the IMDb game, uh, and I wonder if you could just oh. guess who who I want to play it with uh, with you in the cast. Can you think of? Well, somebody? OK,
1: so it's not Elizabeth Banks, because I was thinking you
0: were just going that route from nope. the cast. Well, is it Anna Kendrick? It is not. It's Snoop Dogg, Andy. I'd like to play the IMDb game with Snoop <laughs> Dogg. Uh, first, can you can you just give me? Go ahead. What do you got? Top four. They're all feature films. They're all feature films that he is known for. Thank you, IMDb, for actually doing that because he's been in a lot of TV, um, so many, you know, podcast uh, performances are listed, and of course all of his music videos, which are all listed in his actor biography. And so while you're thinking of the top four, uh, I would like you also to just come up with a ballpark number of how many actor credits you think he has. And of course, this accounts for all the... He's been in many TV series where he is in multiple episodes. All of his music videos, it's inclusive. The question is how many of those performances
1: are cameos like this where he's just playing himself? Because I feel like when I think of Snoop Dogg, it always is thinking of him as Snoop Dogg in a cameo, in, in something where he's just randomly meeting somebody or talking to somebody.
0: Like In his top four, all of his character credits are character credit names. None of them are named Snoop Dogg playing Snoop Dogg. Okay, that eliminates this movie. Like, this I, may be the only four.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? He was in... Uh, what was the one that... Um, I I watched this recently because Letterboxd um, posted a list of movies that have had the highest increase in um, their star ratings since they started, like over the last decade plus. Um, not necessarily like raising it up to five stars or something, but something that has been reappraised and more people find favorable now. And Snoop Dogg was in one of them. And of course, now the name is completely escaping me, but it's where it's like that it's like the uh, gangster ghost story or something. And it, there's a flashback, and I know he was in it. And that was kind of his big thing. Is that one of them? No. And what's the name? I don't I know, remember. but it's
0: not one of them. Uh, let me, t- I'm going to give you some of his co stars. Oh, okay. And that see if you help. can see if you can riff based on co-stars. So uh, the first co-star is Denzel. <sighs> he wasn't an American gangster, was he? He was not. Same movie co-star Scott Glenn.
1: Oh, uh, Denzel and Scott Glenn. Um, I want to go to the submarine movie *Crimson Tide*, but I don't no. Think but
0: you'd, then the you'd realize that another co-star, Ethan Hawke, is not in *Crimson Tide*
1: oh uh God, was scott Glenn in um um whatever that's called training day uh training, training day. day yes he was okay. how about the oh he was the he was the chief of something or something like that right snoop dog played
0: blue blue in training day uh how about the next one is a an animated feature co-stars ryan reynolds paul giamatti and maya rudolph snoop <laughs> plays a character <laughs> named smooth move
1: this is so much harder than it should be. Why am I blanking on animated films with Paul Giamatti? Uh-huh. Like that—that that really throws me. And I'm sure I've seen it, but
0: I actually thought uh, it was quite good. It's the story of a a very very slow character who gets to go very very fast. You might say turbo oh, speed. Oh, it
1: was this. Yeah, it was this <laughs> the snail movie Turbo, right? Sam Jackson. I forgot That's Paul right. Giamatti was like the one who.
0: Yeah. How about this one? Uh, this one is Ving Rhames. Tyrese Gibson, Taraji P Henson, Alexandra Wright. Movie is a 6.4 on IMDb. Came out in 2001, and in this it's not one, baby boy is it? It is baby boy. Snoop actually, he's got you know, he's on the poster. Like Snoop is, yeah, yeah, it's big. him, and, it's, it's him and Tyrese, him and Tyrese, absolutely. All right, yeah, yeah. last Andy 2004. <laughs> I don't even know what to, I don't even know how to give this one away. It's actually a 6.1 on IMDb.
1: What year? 2004. <laughs>
0: 2001 uh, and it is a it is a it could be a reboot with um, a a pair of people who have been in movies before together Um, Ben Stiller is one of them
1: oh is it um no 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 it's not that one I was gonna say uh
0: when you're thinking of Hutch it is Starsky and Hutch
1: it is is Starsky and 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 you said 2001 that wasn't 2001
0: was it no I said 2004 Baby Boy was 2001. I know, but then I said, two, did you say 2004? You said, no, 2001. And that's. You said, no, you said 2005. And I said 2004. <laughs> I think you should go to the tape. Go back to the tape. I will. Trust me. That's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Todd Phillips uh, directed Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. Snoop played. Do it. Do you remember who, who he Do played? Do it.
1: No, but I just remember Ben Stiller. Do, Do it. Do it. Huggy Bear. All I remember from that Huggie stupid movie. Huggy Bear. Bear. Yes. Okay. Yep. Now that you say it.
0: Yep. There you go. Snoop Dogg and do you have a ballpark for how many total uh actor credits he has? Uh I'm gonna i s- I'm gonna say Brian is in our chat room. If you're a member uh true story.fm slash TNR membership, uh you could be a member and watch along in our live stream. And Brian clocked 170, and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, Andy, 170 is low. Oh. What? <laughs> I was gonna say
1: that was way too high. I was gonna say something more like 60, but um if that's
0: No, you're going to be two hundred thirty. Then how about two hundred seventy-eight?
1: But I mean, what is that clocking? Everything,
0: everything he's done. So day shift, no, no, no. But when you say everything,
1: is it like is it a single episode? Music
0: video, short video, video shorts. Um, So TV series, F is for families, and three episodes of that. I don't know if that counts as just F is for family or all the individual episodes. But um, Adam's Family Two uh like he's got he's got a bunch of a bunch of like feature stuff i i'm not going to go through it right now to tell you how many but it's a lot yeah uh, interesting new, all right quite well, a guy busy, yeah. busy career. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right i'm i think i don't have anything else to say about pitch perfect Two.
1: yeah i think that's it so uh we'll be right back but first our credits
0: The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Milano, Oriole Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. I don't want to be a friend. Think I love you. Think I love you, One, two, three, four. All right, Andy, how did do at awards season?
1: It did okay for itself. It had nine wins with 17 other nominations. At the Grammys, it was nominated for Best Compilation Soundtrack for Visual Media, but lost to Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. At the Guild of Music Supervisors Awards... It was nominated for Best Music Supervision for a film budgeted over $25 million, but lost to Straight Outta Compton. And it was nominated for Best Song or Recording Created for a Film for the song Flashlight. That lost to See You Again in Furious 7, which is absolutely the better song. Uh, Talk about a song that uh, I will forever sing and uh, love um, so, and, and should have honestly won an Oscar. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> MTV Movie and TV Awards. It won for Ensemble Cast and Best Kiss for Rebel Wilson and Adam Devine. It was nominated for Best Female Performance for Anna Kendrick, but lost to Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. Can't argue that one. And nominated for Best Comedic Performance for Rebel Wilson, but lost to Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. Can't argue that one either. Uh, And then over at the Teen Choice Awards, it won for Choice Movie Comedy, for Comedy Actor, uh, for Skylar Astin, for Comedy Actress, Anna Kendrick, for Movie Chemistry, uh, Kendrick and and Snow, interestingly. I Hmm. thought that was kind of an interesting little twist in the chemistry. So um, And then for Hissy Fit, for Anna Kendrick. And I was like, Hissy Fit? What is the Hissy Fit? In the film. I'm not really sure. But she beat out Charlie Day in Horrible Bosses 2, Reese Witherspoon in Hot Pursuit, Louis Black in Inside Out, and Bryce Dallas Howard in Jurassic World, and Melissa McCarthy in Spy. So, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what they specifically are calling out for her hissy fit. Uh, Thoughts? What is the hissy fit? I don't know what the
0: hissy fit is. I'm not a, a good...
1: <laughs> well, Arbiter it was a winning his. hissy fit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a winning hissy fit. Yeah,
1: uh, Rebel Wilson was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy, but lost to Anna Kendrick. Uh, Best lip lock between Wilson Wilson and Divine, but they lost to the Divergent series *Insurgent* between Shailene Woodley and Theo James. Uh, best Scene Stiller, Adam Devine, lost to Chris Evans for Avengers Age of Ultron. And Haley Steinfeld was nominated for that same category, also losing to Chris Evans. Last but not least, Best Song from a Movie or TV Show for Flashlight, also lost to See You Again for Furious 7.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. Did it make any money? Did it? Did the? I am assuming it paid off uh, since there's a third one.
1: Oh boy, wow, did it ever. For Banks' takeover of the franchise, she got a handsome bump in the budget, up to $29 million or $31.2 million in today's dollars. The movie opened May fifteenth, 2015, opposite a big competitor, Mad Max Fury Road. And believe it or not, this took the number one spot. Mad Max Fury Road is never never able to get to the number one spot, weirdly, probably because of its R rating. This was the third biggest PG-13 comedy opening of all time, behind The Simpsons movie and Austin Powers and Goldmember. Yeah, baby! <laughs> um this film did great at the box office, surpassing the total box office of the first film in just five days. Wow. Five days. Wow. It, it beat the budget. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, crazy. This film stayed in the top 10 for six weeks, went on to earn $184.3 million domestically and $102.9 million internationally for a total gross of $310.2 million in today's dollars, making it the highest-grossing musical comedy of all time, beating out School of Rock. And also, it had the third-greatest musical debut Ever behind live action Beauty and the Beast and The Lorax of all things. What? Um Yeah, I know. I don't. I, I don't understand why that's on the list, but it is. Uh, that lands this film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of just over two point four million, a huge increase from the first film.
0: Well, I guess good for them. I'm not sure I can see it all on screen. Um, it doesn't. I guess maybe it looks like it's budgeted. They go. Do they? They actually go to Copenhagen well (laughs) they at least are running
1: through the streets in copenhagen i i don't know if any of that final performance i assume that was all shot in la or georgia or wherever they i think they were filming in georgia still so i can't imagine i feel like they probably just flew everybody over there to get some you know some shots of them running
0: around most of the budget's in the 60 licensed songs i'm sure
1: (laughs) well i'm sure that's a chunk for sure yeah Yeah, absolutely Uh,
0: all right well um i i guess uh that's it for Pitch Perfect 2, and now you still haven't watched Pitch Perfect 3, so we have that little bit of anticipation mm. leading up to our next recording session. Yeah,
1: this was a bit of a disappointment after the last one. Uh, I mean, I, again, I didn't love the last one, but I was hoping that this one would at least kind of uh, achieve the same level for me, and it didn't. So, you know, I have to walk out of it feeling like, yeah, they didn't know what to do with it, they just wanted to make a sequel and make more money. And that's where we sit.
0: That's too bad. I I also didn't like it as much as the first one, but I still am wearing my acapella colored glasses, and that will likely impact <laughs> my letterbox review coming up
1: next. All right. Well, we will be right back for our ratings, but first, here is the trailer for next week's movie, the conclusion of the franchise, Pitch Perfect Three. If I can't conduct,
0: I can't. She's so right there. The Barton Bell is an unlikely group of not men who somehow managed to win at something that didn't have to do with baking. I can hear you.
1: They've graduated college, have spread their wings, and are attempting to fly. Papaya players delight with a shot of white privilege. Hopefully,
0: not becoming the failures we all expect them to be. I feel really good about where I'm at right now. I'm trying to get into vet school. Fingers crossed.
1: <laughs> Where are they now? My name is Fat Amy Winehouse, so let's get cracking. I quit my job. You got fine? No, I quit. It's fine. <gasps> oh, come on. No. This is a overreaction. reaction. I would do anything to sing with you guys again.
0: Anything. You guys, every year the USO puts on this performance to support the troops in Europe. What if I could get us an invite? Yeah, I've suddenly got a bunch of free time, so hell yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Make history. Guys, we've never competed against bands that actually have instruments, so what's the plan? I'm coming up, so you better get this party. I'm coming out. You guys just sing other people's songs, like karaoke. Karaoke? <laughs> no, 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 That's so cute. From Calamity, this is Serenity, Veracity, and Charity. If I joined your group, I could be obesity. <laughs> Here we go. Another day on stage for the Bellas. This is their big plummet. Their fade out. Into nothingness. You sure about this? Have I ever let you down? All the time. What? You're very unreliable. It's like one of the hallmarks of your personality. And you're not remembering all the times I've been awesome. Oh! Let Taka finish this. Woo! Yes! Oh! Try
1: to have some dignity. Yeah, well, we don't do anything with dignity, okay?
0: They really do need to join the workforce. Yes. All right. So let's talk about Letterboxd. If you want to get your own pro or patron membership on Letterboxd, the best social network for movie lovers, just use the discount code NextReel or visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd. You'll get your 20% off. And uh, that works for renewals as well. And that means, Andy, what are you going to do? You were at three and a half stars for the first one. Where do you go from here? It's like you didn't leave yourself enough room.
1: Oh, there's plenty of room down below, Pete. There's plenty of room. It still is enjoyable enough. There are just a lot of issues. So I feel like two stars. Um, and I, I don't think I'm going to give it a heart. Ooh, two stars. No,
0: That's the burn. Sick letterbox burn, Andy. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm at three stars. It's and a heart. I'm giving it a heart because even though it has all the problems, it also has 80 fits and a sound machine and some more great acapella music that overall I still like. And I listen to the soundtrack. I listen to all the soundtrack. Pentatonix is in it. Pentatonix is in it. And, and they
1: barely it. get to do anything. Uh, that was very disappointing. That you see like three shots of them in a montage but at
0: the end. But what we do get on the soundtrack, you do get the the full version of the song. That uh, uh what's the song that they do in that? Any um, way you want. Any it. way you want it. That they're in the championship melody, but they medley. But they also, I think, get the. Um, I think they have a full their full version on one of the versions of the... Yeah, any way you want it. It's on the special edition. You get their full version of that song. That's where it is. Gotcha. Yep.
1: Well, yeah, and just to call out the others that are part of that, yep. Philharmonic, Har- uh, Phil the Cantasticos, the Singbox, and Penn Masala. Yeah. So, I mean, they they did pull in a bunch of real acapella groups to kind of be a part of that yep. That
0: sequence. And the Green Bay Packers. They didn't make it to Worlds, but should have. The
1: Green Bay Packers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Three stars uh, and a heart. Well, that's what I got.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, and just as a reminder, the slash letterbox to get your patron or pro membership. And it does work for renewals as well. And remember, if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads and before everybody else, uh, you can learn more about becoming a member and support the show at the slash membership. So what did you think about Pitch Perfect 2? We would love to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in our Discord community where, we'll, where we will be talking about the movie this week.
0: When the movie ends...
1: Our conversation begins.
0: (laughs) The hot lady from Das Sound Machine was my gay awakening. (laughs) We didn't talk about that. That was some of the really funny uh, humor of uh, of it was, was Anna, Kendrick. Anna Kendrick's response to her, I thought was really funny.
1: That was, okay, setups and payoffs um, of things from one film to the next. Like, this was a side, though, of Becca that wasn't developed in the first film that suddenly became a weird thing throughout this one where, like, even when she is applying or not applying, but accepting the position at the internship, like, she turns, she is turned into somebody that can't, can't not say things and then is always instantly regretful of the things that have just come out of her mouth that
0: wasn't set up in the first film was it no am i forgetting something i don't think so especially because like look at the response she had when chloe hit her up in the shower like you feel like maybe that was her kind of first experience with oh my god maybe i kind of like this i
1: i just felt like that was this this franchise's chicken bit Mm -hmm. from back to the future Mm -hmm. like let's introduce this thing with anna kendrick where she's going to constantly say things uh that she didn't want to say and then instantly regret it because it happens all through this yeah it really is funny like when she is dealing with the the lady of uh sound machine like that was pretty funny um but it does happen an awful lot in this movie
0: yeah yeah it was funny all right letterboxd giveth andrew
1: as letterboxd always doeth I feel like I should go first since I'm I'm Okay. A little more on the negative side than you are. I think you should. That's good. <laughs> okay. I've got a two and a half by Samantha, who still gave it a heart and had this to say. Do the writers know that there's a difference between satire and plain old racism?
0: <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah. Um so you know David Ehrlich. You know David Ehrlich, oh. the reviewer. Yeah. Yeah best friend who hasn't met me yet do you do you ever wonder like when you see a review you think oh yeah his letterboxd account got hacked <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are those times so isn't he the one who has unabashed love for magic mike 2
0: i think he does i, I think he out. thinks it's a perfect movie and so pitch perfect too maybe that shouldn't surprise us but this is his brief review a deeply deeply funny movie not always, often uproariously so, but consistently in a way I haven't seen in ages. Almost every line lands, though the ones that don't, don't tend to miss by a while. Love how irreverent it is, how loose it plays, how mismashed, mismashed it is. To- Mish, mishmashed. Mishmashed. Mish- I don't think I've ever seen that word written how mishmash like mishmash yeah i know i mean i've heard it i know what it is like i'm not a I grew up in a barn or something but i know it. anyway how mishmashed it is together from a dozen different threads elizabeth banks is for real and a half she's for real and a half andy wow there's a whole half I think, of i a, think a real in love that was that was i think like he was pro- was he is this a sponsored review is it somehow paid off
1: did you see a special thanks to David Ehrlich at the end of the credits? Maybe you should
0: check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> I don't care for it. Like David Ehrlich does. <laughs> uh, thanks, David. I mean, letterbox. I've been podcasting since 2006.
1: Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better.
0: After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us.
1: If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to the slash transistor
0: and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreal.com slash transistor start growing your podcast today